Are you feeling out of your depth attempting to parent your child's online world? Parenting in Cyberspace is brought to you by Parentline and the Queensland Government. This season talks about supporting young people's online well-being and experiences with cyberbullying. Our primary focus is to minimise the harm to the targeted child. So we focus on just mainly removing the cyberbullying material where possible to decrease the rate of shame felt and embarrassment from the material. In this episode of the Parenting in Cyberspace podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Gillian, who manages the team responsible for running the cyberbullying complaint scheme at eSafety. This scheme serves as a safety net for young people who have been unable to resolve their serious cyberbullying issues through social media's reporting tools. The team helps with the removal of harmful material targeting children with the intent to seriously humiliate, harass, intimidate or threaten them. Gillian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on your show. So to kick things off today, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the work of the eSafety Commissioner, could you start by telling us a little bit about what eSafety does and expand a bit on your role? eSafety is the world's first government agency dedicated to keeping its citizens safer online. So it has legislated powers relating to child cyberbullying, image-based abuse, which is our term for non-consensual sharing of intimate images, and also illegal and harmful content online. But broader than the uh, legislated functions, we also provide free community education and training resources about online safety. So we develop special initiatives and programs in response to identified needs, such as resources in other languages, tailored support for particular groups that need it, such as we have a BeConnect program for generally older Australians who have low digital literacy. We also recognise the importance of driving up standards of user safety within the technology industry. So we have initiatives like eSafety's Safety by Design, which encourages tech companies to anticipate, detect and eliminate online risks so digital environments are safer and more inclusive. We also try to share what we've learned and to collaborate with governments and organisations around the globe to help with capacity building in this space internationally. So, for example, we have a good close relationship with the Fiji Online Safety Commissioner Mm -hmm. and try and share what we've learned over the past uh, six years since we started about how to manage online safety um, in the digital space. So my particular role is to manage the team responsible for our child cyberbullying complaint scheme. To that end, we assess reports we get about cyberbullying and we seek removal of cyberbullying material from social media platforms where the threshold for cyberbullying is met and there's material to remove, as well as providing advice and support to our complainants more generally just about cyberbullying where it might not necessarily meet the threshold. So it sounds like there are a huge number of ways that eSafety can provide support to not only young people, but also to their parents or to older people who, like you say, may have a lower digital literacy. If a young person is exposed to cyberbullying, so whether that's something that they're experiencing or something that they're engaging in or just sort of things that they're seeing online um, that they're not really sure about or they want more information about, how can eSafety support the young person and how would eSafety be able to support their parents? I guess the first thing that I would say is 
we do have a lot of information on our website about online safety and cyberbullying. So anybody interested in finding out more about the resources that we have and the assistance we can give, I'd encourage people to go to our website for more information about protecting yourself and your family online generally. That's at www.esafety.gov.au. But if you do have particular cyberbullying material that's not confirmed and you need it removed, the first point of contact is the social media platform itself to report the material. Mm. All platforms have their own complaints mechanisms. Usually they're built right into the posts themselves depending on the platform. There's usually three dots or an arrow to the right of the post and you can click on that and then see some choices about reporting. When you come to eSafety, what you need to do is to give the platform 48 hours to take action from the time you reported it using their in-platform processes. They're obviously dealing with thousands of reports every day, so it can take some time to review. However, if the post isn't removed within that time period, then you can come to eSafety for us to assist. We have contacts within all the major platforms who we can advocate to on your behalf to have material removed. We also do have formal legislative powers to give notices to platforms to remove cyberbullying material if it meets the threshold. And there are attached penalties to those formal notices if the platforms don't remove that material. We can also liaise with the school and let them know about the cyberbullying and seek their involvement and action to address the situation. That's particularly relevant where the cyberbullying is happening between school peers. Often in those situations, the bullying is not limited to online, but it's actually happening both in person and on the platforms. So in those Mm. situations, schools should have the bullying policies in place that are better equipped to address that type of dynamic. In terms of educational resources about dealing with cyberbullying, we have a wide range of materials freely available on our website, mm-hmm. including videos called Rewrite Your Story, which are short videos based on real-world examples of cyberbullying to encourage discussions about young people's experiences and how they can get help and what they can do in those situations. We also have a broad array of resources that fall under the Young and eSafe banner, Mm -hmm. which go towards resilience, respect, empathy and responsibility online. So it's not just about what actions parents and children being confronted with cyberbullying can do when they encounter it, but also the broader issues of being upstanders online Mm -hmm. if they witness cyberbullying and how to behave themselves and what is and isn't appropriate behaviour online. That is incredible. I know from going on the eSafety website myself, one of the really great things for young people and for parents, if you're unsure about how to report something to a particular platform, eSafety have a fantastic guide available on their website that really breaks down information for almost every platform and gives information about how to report to that platform. I think you're talking about our eSafety guide. So yeah. that does, uh, we do try to keep that up to date with all of the uh, most popular platforms. And um, it's a really useful resource because you can go there and not only find out how to report to the platforms on there, but also we give a general assessment of what we think some of the risks are mm-hmm. with those platforms and also an indication of what age is suitable for people to be using those those platforms. Yeah, great for young people and for parents and carers to to keep that guide in mind when something is reported to eSafety with respect to cyberbullying. What would be an example of something that might be reported to a platform and for whatever reason isn't removed within that 48-hour period that you mentioned that then is reported to eSafety? 
reasonably common scenario that we see a lot of is where someone sets up an account either in another person's name or just using their photo and then impersonates them. Mm -hmm. And just because of the insidiousness of the behavior, it's not always obvious that it is an impersonation account because Mm -hmm. the cyberbullying isn't explicit. Um, Cyberbullying is so often very contextual about things that have happened in the past between people. So the conduct will will be to use photos on the account that the target finds embarrassing or make enthusiastic comments about a hobby but the target actually really isn't a fan of it or it's just situational. So the problem that the platforms have when they look at this sort of thing is it's not obvious on the face of the account or the post that it is cyberbullying. So as I discussed before, the process is the complainant should first report the account to the social media platform, Mm. but where the moderator comes back with an assessment that it doesn't breach terms of service, they can submit a cyberbullying report, uh, the complainant can submit a cyberbullying report to us via our eSafety website. Mm. Now, the report form is really important to complete because it asks important questions we need to progress our inquiries, such as uh, screenshots of what has been happening, the website address where the material is, and the context of the complaint, Mm -hmm. which is usually the most important part for our assessment, particularly where a person who doesn't know the background of cyberbullying will look at the material and not understand why the material is cyberbullying. Mm. Now, sometimes people make assumptions about the powers that eSafety has. We don't have sort of special, you know, x-ray powers to be able to see behind privacy walls Mm. or search the internet for material actually on there. So we do need to have links to where these posts are or to the account that is doing this sort of behaviour. Often we'll need to seek further information from the complainant to fill in any other gaps in the evidence provided. It's rare that a complainant will have provided all the material we need to progress a matter. So usually we'd send a follow-up email or if the complainant has indicated they're happy to be contacted by phone, we'll call them. It's obviously much easier and faster for us to get information by phone, but Mm. uh, we appreciate that some children don't want to be contacted in this way. So we always aim to assist in the way people want to be assisted, but it is likely to be slower if they request by email rather than via phone. Mm. And when we have all the information that we need, then we can work out whether we can seek removal of material or the account that's posting the cyberbullying material from the platforms and go from there. And is that something that parents and carers could do on behalf of young people as well? Or is it just the person who's experiencing those behaviours who can report? Or say, for example, could someone who sees it happening online also report it to eSafety? The legislation is set up so we can take reports from both parents and children experiencing the cyberbullying Mm -hmm. and also from authorised people. So a child can authorise another person who isn't a parent to report on their behalf. So that could be the friends or a family member or a teacher, for example. So generally, we have about 50% of our complaints coming from the children themselves who are experiencing cyberbullying mm-hmm. and 50% coming from the parents with a small percentage coming from authorised people. What I would say is that it's great when we do get reports from people who have just seen the cyberbullying material online and want to report it. But the way the scheme actually works, our powers aren't enlivened unless it's from a person who's actually experienced the cyberbullying from their parents or from an authorised person. If you are a person 
is just seeing it happening online to somebody you don't know and you report it. There's not actually much that we can do because the way the scheme is set up, it's to give authority to the person who actually is experiencing cyberbullying. They need to decide what sort of action is taken in response to that. So while it's fantastic that people want to be upstanders and report other things, Mm. it's not so helpful if they're just reporting something that they've seen as a third party. They need to have actually got authority from the child who's experiencing the cyberbullying themselves to report. In terms of when a parent or carer is submitting a report on behalf of a young person, how would you recommend that they go about that? We do have a box which says that, please tell us about what's been happening and really the more information and detail that uh, a parent can put into that box uh, about the surrounding circumstances, the better and easier it is for us to understand. So we often get reports which only have like a sentence in that box Mm -hmm. and that will leave a lot of leeway and further discussions that we need to have with the complainant to tease out the further information. But I mean, if there is a history, for example, if it's all stemmed from uh, a relationship breakup between teenagers and then the new boyfriends come about and that's where the cyberbullying has um, escalated, that's useful information to put in that context box so we, we can understand the screenshots and the material that have been provided to us and why it's considered to be cyberbullying. So, yeah, as much information as possible. Sometimes it's hard because parents don't have all of the information. In that situation, it's really best to to try and work hand in hand with the child Mm. to try and collect all of the screenshots and information and surrounding circumstances that have happened and then submit that. And we will, of course, get back and try and fill in the gaps as best we can by talking with the child or the parent further. So really more rather than less and potentially potentially something that a parent or a carer and their child could sit down and do together. After something is reported, so your team at eSafety will potentially contact the person to get more information, what would be the next steps that might happen or the next sort of things that you would be encouraging that young person or their parents to do? Once we have all the information that we need, we assess that material against the thresholds in the Act, which is for material to be considered cyberbullying and to give rise to our formal powers. Um, It needs to be seriously humiliating, seriously harassing, seriously intimidating or seriously threatening. And if it meets those thresholds, then we have the power to to seek removal of that material from the social media platforms. What that means is that we can issue a notice to the platform requiring them to remove the material within 24 hours of receiving the notice. And if they fail to do so, they can face civil penalties in the order of $555,000. Where we can establish who the end user is, who created the account and posted, who posted the cyberbullying material, we can also issue something called an end user notice, which requires that person to apologise to the target and cease post cyberbullying material against that target as well. We also have powers to seek information from the school to find out how they're dealing with a cyberbullying situation, where the targets and end users are all part of the same school. And we also have the ability to just go to the platforms informally and ask them to remove material as necessary. We often find that going informally to the platforms rather than using our formal powers is a quicker, faster and better way of limiting the spread of cyberbullying bullying material. So we do go to platforms informally quite frequently rather than formally. 
Um, in addition to seeking removal of cyberbullying material, we also aim to provide further advice and support to a child, which may consist of referring the child to support services such as yourselves, that like Kids Helpline, mm-hmm. and also providing advice about things that children can do to minimise further problems, such as making their accounts private to minimise contact from people they don't want to hear from, mm-hmm. blocking, and also keeping screenshots of everything that's been happening with a mind to report it further down the track because often something might not meet the threshold of cyberbullying initially but Mm. if that behavior escalates it's actually really good to have a history of the screenshots and the dates when it all happened because then you can package that all up into one big cyberbullying complaint at the end of the day. Like we've sort of been touching on throughout this whole episode provides that context in the background for you guys. Yeah. You mentioned there's something about an end user notice where the person who is engaging in those behaviours is known. Would it be possible to issue an end user notice where the person or the page engaging in the cyberbullying behaviours is anonymous? Our primary focus is to minimise the harm to the targeted child. So we focus on just mainly removing the cyberbullying material where possible to decrease the rate of shame, felt and embarrassment from the material. Usually by removing cyberbullying material as quickly as possible from a platform, we don't actually need to have the identity of the person who posted it. We can just go directly to the platform and have it removed. We do have investigations powers under the Act, which mean we can seek further information from parties, including the platforms, about the person behind the account. Mm. So while it means that we can seek details about who set up the account, it's just another avenue for seeking better information about the end user. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll be able to identify them. And um, we generally don't do these sorts of investigations as a matter of course because it is quite time-consuming and and, Mm. uh, a lengthy process to do for something like a one-off post. But it's certainly something we look into where we have serial cyberbullying happening repeatedly over a period of time. Now, to this date, if we were looking at end-user notices, we'd want to be looking at who the actual person was in terms of their name and their address. But um, we could certainly try issuing an end user notice to an email address, even if we don't know who's behind that. Mm. Uh, It's a possibility, but we haven't explored that possibility totally at this point in time. We'll see how we go in the future. The powers that eSafety have changed slightly earlier this year. And my understanding is that it provides more scope for supporting adults who experience cyberbullying. Could you expand on that a little bit? When we first started as the eSafety Commissioner, we were the Children's eSafety Commissioner. So the power is only related to children under the age of 18. So in January of this year, we got a new act, the Online Safety Act 2021, which expanded our remit to include adults. Now, it means basically that if adults are being targeted by uh, cyberbullying online, they can submit a complaint to us and uh, we can look at doing the same things that we do for children essentially, which is to help remove that cyberbullying material. The threshold though for the adult cyber abuse, we call it, rather than cyberbullying, is higher for adults on the Mm. basis that adults are more resilient than children. Mm. So the threshold for children is that the material has to be seriously 
humiliating, harassing, intimidating or threatening Mm -hmm. to be classified as cyberbullying. But for adults, the material posted needs to be posted with the intent to cause serious harm as well as being menacing, harassing or offensive. It's got to meet both those elements for Mm -hmm. it to be considered adult cyber abuse. And then we can seek help seek removal of it. It does mean, because the threshold is higher than for children, it does mean that the material needs to be very serious. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about very serious, we're talking about things like threats of violence, doxing of people's address details with some kind of allegation that they're a bad person and need to be bashed, those sorts of things. So we're not talking about merely insulting material, which might get up in the child cyberbullying space, but posts that to sort of make fun of how you look or say you're a bad person, that's not really what the intent of the legislation is for, Mm. to remove that sort of material. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think it's really useful for people to understand the distinction between how e-safety can support in instances of cyberbullying for those people Mm -hmm. who are under 18 and then also the circumstances in which uh, you're able to support adults, so people over 18 who might be experiencing some of those things that you mentioned there when they're yeah. online as well. Yeah. In your experience, what is something that you think that all parents and carers should be aware of when it comes to supporting young people who are exposed to cyberbullying? I'm a parent of two young children, so I'm speaking from the heart here. (laughs) I think it's really hard as a parent or carer to see a child that you're responsible for suffering the pain of cyberbullying. And often a natural instinct is to jump in and protect the child in any way you can, which can sometimes manifest as a wish to destroy the end users who's done this because anger is a very natural response to finding out your child is being cyberbullied. Mm. So a natural jumping point is to seek to get the child responsible, suspended or expelled, you know, throw the book at the child, get them into so much trouble that they don't ever think about doing this to anybody else. Mm. However, I think it's important to remember that it's critical not to take away the decision-making ability from the child who is the target about what's going to happen to deal with the situation. It's often incredibly hard for a child to trust a parent enough to tell them about cyberbullying they're experiencing. And a lot of that is often to do with fear about how the parent or carer will react. Mm. So my recommendation is that rather than flying off the deep end when finding out about something like this happening to your child, a parent or carer should take a deep breath, stay calm and dampen the natural instinct to go ballistic. And Mm. firstly, acknowledge the bravery and trust that your child has shown by coming to you in the first place. That's actually a really big deal Mm. and the child should be praised for doing so because it takes a lot of trust to do that. Mm. And then the next thing is to suggest options for dealing with it, like reporting to the platforms, reporting to the school, reporting to e-safety if material needs to be removed. And then most importantly, it's then to ask the child what they think should happen and listen to what they have to say about it. There's two reasons why I think that's important. The first is that while you want to stop the person who's cyberbullying a child from doing it again, there's actually often a peer dynamic at play. So taking action against the end user may be something that the child is scared about doing because of the repercussions from the wider social group. So, for example, if the end user child is really popular when it gets out that your child has had a hand in getting the end user suspended or sanctioned, for example, it may have flow-on effects for your child's social circle. So you need to take that into account in any decision-making about what happens too. Mm. But the second reason is that 
this may not be a serious cyberbullying situation right now, just a mild one, but by showing your child that you respect their opinions and decisions and that you're not going to take over the situation and make decisions that affect them without their input, you're building trust for the future so your child can be confident that they can come to you for help without them then having you take over the situation and make decisions on their behalf without their input. We do see it fairly frequently that children come to us for help and support with cyberbullying, but they don't want to talk to their parents about the situation and they don't want us to talk to their parents about the situation because they're scared about how their parents will react. And I always find that to be incredibly sad because a child needs their parents' support. Mm. And when a child doesn't trust how their parent will react, they're losing out on that really strong support system that they should have access to. So I feel like that's the the key critical thing. It's to help support your child in their decision-making about how to deal with cyberbullying and not take over that decision-making process from them. I think that that is such fantastic advice, really working with them and really working within the social context that the child is aware of. So they know, like you were saying, whether there might be flow on effects from things being reported um, and working with them to find out what it is that they would like to happen next in these situations. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the critical point is that the reason why cyberbullying is so devastating is because it's a feeling of loss of control of the situation. So mm. it's critical to let the child get control back of that situation, which includes making decisions about how to handle it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the Parenting in Cyberspace podcast, Gillian. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me on. I think one of the things that we really would like is to get the message out about what eSafety does in the cyberbullying space so more parents and more children can feel confident coming and reporting to us so we can assist them. Our team are very dedicated and passionate about the work that they do and we just want to help as many people as possible. So thank you for Mm -hmm. giving us this opportunity to talk about what we do. I'm now joined by Kim Harper, who is a parenting expert and the parent line manager to discuss what we've learned today and how you can use this information when parenting your children and young people. Kim, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Something that Gillian and I spoke about is the importance of asking children what they think should happen and what they would like to happen. And something that I've been reflecting on since that conversation is around what we should do if we feel like our child is making a colossal mistake in the idea they have about how to move forward in these situations. And I think that that's a situation where we can often want to jump in and fix it for them because we think, oh my gosh, this is going to end so badly. I already know what's going to happen. And I'm curious as to what you would suggest parents do in these circumstances. I think that is a constant struggle for parents in a range of different issues. I think it's our job as parents to walk beside our kids. We want to walk beside them and help guide them. We want to empower them to make decisions. We want to empower them to, you know, take ownership over what's going on for them and what is potentially going to happen next. It is also our job to then jump in when we feel the need to. And that can be, you know, that's grey, right? That can be really, there's no black and white answer here. 
Um, I think it can be a lot of a lot of grey mixed in. I think a few things to kind of consider first and foremost is you know what age is our child, and that's a big one because we're going to have a lot more control to jump in when they're younger. The consequences potentially are going to be different as well. There's so many things for us to kind of weigh up. And every individual situation, every child is different. What they're facing is different. As they get older, I think the big thing kind of comes down is how do we communicate that we think they're making the wrong decision? We have less control and less power as our kids get older. That can be really hard for parents to uh, deal with, to be honest. It can be really hard for us to deal with the fact that we don't have control over what's going to happen. So again, I think it comes down to the fact that we can communicate effectively. We can calmly say, this is what I think. I think these are some things that we need to consider. It's always around how do we do this together? We want to try and maintain that connection with our our kids as much as we possibly can. And I think we want to create an environment where our kids can say the same back to us because, again, we don't have all the information. How they're perceiving a decision what they perceive as positive and negative consequences of that situation can be really different to how we perceive them as well. So I think we want to give them a chance to try and communicate that to us as well. Ultimately, it's also about understanding that depending on the age of the kids that they're still going to do, that's their job. As they get older, they're going to become more independent. They're going to have to deal with the consequences of their decisions and what they want to have to come out of them. So how do we support them when we don't agree? And that comes down to communicating that. I think too that the thing as you're speaking and as I've sort of thought about this that it really makes me think of is that age-old adage of we learn from our mistakes because we really do as people learn from our mistakes. And I think it can be really hard to sit back if we feel that they're, that our child or our teen is making a mistake. But sometimes if they present all of the information to you and they're still saying, this is the course of action I want to take, sometimes it can just be a matter of letting the sequence play out as it may and for them to experience whatever the positive or negative or whatever consequences may come Absolutely. from that. Absolutely. We 100% do. And that it is their life, right? It's their life and their, their directions that they want to take. And like I said earlier, I think it's really important to understand that their perception of this current situation could be incredibly different to yours. The mistakes that you might see as huge may not even be a blip on their radar, in terms of what they feel would be a consequence. So actually having a a relationship where you can be able, you know, you can explain that to them and they can in turn explain that. And sometimes it's really about, I don't understand that, like, and I don't agree and I'm worried, but how, again, do you kind of keep the blocks out of the relationship? We don't have to agree with what we're doing. We don't have to like what they're doing all the time. What we do need to be is a safe place for them to come back to if, you know, heaven forbid, everything we thought that was going to happen happened. You know, do we want to say, I told you so, or do we want to be a safe place for them to come back to? Mm-hmm. So presenting to them, I suppose, what our concerns might be in these situations in a real, this is what I feel might happen. And have you considered these things kind of in almost like a questioning way of, 
is this something that you've thought about and what do you think might happen as a result of that as opposed to I feel like you're making a huge mistake and this is going to go really wrong. How do we keep it grey? Yeah. Right? How do we keep it grey? We don't want to make it black and white. If you do A, then I'm not going to do B. Like that's not going to help anyone's situation. And, and I know it sounds really cliched, but when we think back to when, you know, we were kind of 16, 17, we had to make our own mistakes. We had to go and, and pick the path that we wanted to pick. And the same thing kind of goes with, with kids, our kids. It's just hard. <laughs> Absolutely. It's hard being in the role that our parents were in when we were younger and kind of understanding it from that perspective as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of think, you know, what I wanted was my parents to understand my point of view, respect my point of view, but be there when I was wrong. (laughs) Definitely. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this. Thank you. To find out more about anything we've discussed on today's episode, access free resources or get in touch with the show, please visit parentline.com.au and hit the cyberbullying tab. If you'd like to talk privately with a professional counsellor, please call Parentline on 1300 30 1300 or visit parentline.com.au to chat to us online.